Welcome to Real Faith, the podcast where we explore the intersection between culture, faith and youth work. I'm Stephen Mitchell and I'll be your host today. Each episode, we'll look at a different film or series and discuss it in depth, exploring the themes within it and how we can use it with the young people we work with. We'll cover everything from action to horror, comic book movies to comedies. In this episode, I'm going to be talking to Tim Coleman, who is a lecturer and social worker, about the new Scream film. Obviously, it's important to say that there will be spoilers. We will go into great detail on the plot of Scream, which came out just over a week ago. So if you haven't seen it and do want to see it, please go and watch it, first of all. But if you're just looking for an informed discussion about some of the themes and things, then then do keep listening. Tim and I had so much to say that I've decided to split this podcast into two episodes. So I hope you enjoy my part one discussion with Tim around the new Scream film. So I'm delighted to be joined on the podcast today by Tim Coleman. Hi, Tim. Hello, mate. How are you doing? I'm very well. Yes. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. We were just catching up a little bit before you hit record and I think we're both in the middle of like quite busy days, but this is um, something which is I've been looking forward to and I'm excited to be with you and talking all things uh, Scream. So yeah, thank you for having me. No, absolute pleasure. It really is. Obviously, I've heard you on other podcasts and other things, so, so it's, it's great to be able to have you come on to here and, and share some insights and have a little bit of a, a conversation oh, you. around Scream. So, so thanks again. Thank you, mate. With, with all of these episodes then, I'd like to hear just a little bit from yourself about your journey into youth work and, 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 and what that's been like and, and, and what your current role is, if you don't mind. Yeah, no worries. So I kind of wear two different professional hats. And so I, I've got like um, a kind of a career uh, as a film critic um, and do some freelance stuff around that. But like my background with youth work kind of goes all the way back to probably when I was at university about 20 years ago and I started doing um, some youth work uh, with uh, my church um, working with young people with autism um, and would be involved in helping run these Saturday clubs um, and kind of from there I kind of pivoted into uh, youth work with 11 to 14 year olds at church um, and then as I was getting into my mid-20s and I was kind of trying to figure out like what did I want to do uh, as, as my main job, I'd had like a few temporary jobs, um, uh, I ended up going and retraining um, to become a social worker. And so I did like, um, uh, went back to university and and qualified in, in social work uh, kind of at the end of uh, the, the noughties. Um, yeah, and so I ended up being a children and family social worker for just under 10 years. Um, and that was predominantly working with young people who were unaccompanied asylum-seeking children. Mm-hmm. And so that's kids who come into the UK uh, without their parents and are then accommodated by the local authority. Um, and, you know, that was, it still is like one of the best jobs I've ever had. Like it was a joy and a privilege to get to work with those young people who were often from countries that most of us will never get to go to, like mm-hmm. Afghanistan, Iraq, Iran. Um, but yeah, about, about three years ago then, I, I kind of, uh transitioned again 
this time into academia. So I'm now a lecturer in social work um, at the University of Warwick. And so I'm still very much invested in that world um, in terms of uh, social work and supporting and kind of raising up, I guess, the next the next generation of frontline workers who work with children and, and uh, young people. And so, yeah, that's kind of where my where I am at the minute and kind of the, the journey to that point. Mm. How, how have you found that transition between frontline work to 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 lecturing? How's that been? Yeah, it's been good. It's been good. I felt like um, after doing like 10 years of frontline work, it, it's, it's a nice to use like a slightly different skill set. Um, like anyone I think who works in frontline social care will kind of identify uh, and particularly probably in the last few years with COVID that the pace can be really ferocious and actually um, you know you maintaining a maintaining um, a, a sense of your own well-being can be quite challenging at times um, when you're working vicariously with uh, young people who've suffered trauma and often like with overburden caseloads and trying to meet uh, deadlines. It, I felt like for for that ten years, um, although I loved it, that it did take a toll slightly. Yeah. And so actually having the space to step back and use slightly different skills. So you know, obviously uh, things around delivering training, honing one's own an, analytical capabilities, doing more research, those kind of skill set i've i've enjoyed just stretching a different part of my personality i mean i might well go back to frontline practice mm. at some other point because of course the thing you miss the most with lecturing is the direct work with young people um and there's no replacing that really but um but yeah nevertheless it felt like it's been a good change at the right time for me and i'm i'm you know i, I love my current job as well so I'm, I'm very very lucky to have been one of those annoying people who seems to have always liked the jobs they've had <laughs> or loved the jobs they've had even great Thank you very much for, for sharing that, Tim. So we're obviously going to talk about the new Scream, Scream 5, although just titled Scream, and we'll probably talk a little bit about the, maybe some of that and, and the culture around kind of the naming of films and, and, and that that we're, we're kind of going through. But but what's been your history with the Scream franchise, with, with, with the original Scream as well? Just a, a kind of snapshot of that, if you will. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I mean, I think Scream 1... Well, that came out in '96, and so I was around about 15 or so um, at that time. And so I remember seeing it shortly after it came out. I think on VHS, it was probably a rental from the from the local store. I grew up in North Wales, and so we'd have to kind of drive uh, to the nearby, you know, nearest town with a, right, with okay, a rental yeah. store, and <laughs> and it was kind of like a bit of a ritual for my family. It'd be a weekend mm. thing on a Friday or Saturday night. Um, but yeah, I think I saw Scream about that time and yeah, just remember it making a really big impression. Um, I was and have been like a film geek more or less my entire life. And I used to do this thing where um, my parents' VHS player would be linked up to the hi-fi in the lounge and therefore the tape deck. And so I would kind of record the audio for certain scenes onto like cassette and then right, okay. listen to them when I went into school and so one of the first things uh, I put on from a film in fact I think it was the first thing I put on from a film was the opening 10 minutes from Scream so there, there was like there was a time in my life when I knew that uh, <laughs> that scene word for word because I would just you know listen to it on the bus in or whatever um, but yeah I think Scream 2 was probably one of the first 18s I saw at the pictures um, snuck in or uh, as an underage enthusiastic horror fan uh, that's not good I think I paid for a ticket but you know <laughs> God, hope that nobody would uh, pay too much attention to, to my age um, and yeah like 
uh probably it is one and two with my where my closest relationship was i remember being disappointed when i saw scream three um mm. at the cinema in 2000 um and then yeah um caught scream four not at the cinema born on home entertainment when that came out so i've got like a long-standing relationship with, with it mm. but yeah i think one and two for me were particularly influential in the late 90s oh, that's great thanks tim and, and and really just to point people towards your podcast which you've you've started well and and, and congratulations on the the first episode it was oh, thanks man it, it was brilliant and w- was a real deep dive on on screen with with uh, mike munzer and, and wider on, on slasher films as well so if people are maybe wanting to learn a little bit more about the legacy of of screaming particularly that that first film uh, then I encourage you to to check out that podcast as well and you talk obviously about slashers with, with stevie webb as well and, and particularly on, on 80s i guess what what scream is ultimately referencing a lot of those kinds of things so that's definitely worth if people want to kind of have a deep dive on that yeah thank you man that's, that's kind of you to say yeah it was really fun chatting with those guys like i've uh, I mentioned I've got like a, a sign of side career in in film journalism and um, a freelance for a few different places over the years. But yeah, we've just launched um, a podcast for uh, our website, movingpicturesfilmclub.com. Uh, com. And uh, yeah, like you said, the first episode it was great to get to talk to Stevie and Mike about about Scream. And like those guys are so knowledgeable as well. Like mm. Stevie is like an expert on like eighties slasher culture. Like he was like able to bring such insight and wisdom into some of the some of the really kind of off the off the beaten track tiles and mm. yeah i mean mike you mentioned as well who hosts the evolution of horror podcast uh, but also the official screen pod uh, hello sydney with anna bogutskaya and louise blaine like you know just just a real joy to talk to both of them about this uh, such an influential film and mm. uh, yeah it's such a beloved film as well i think like scream has got such a a, a deep place in the heart of genre fans of, of a particular age yeah, no, de- definitely. So, what were your feelings heading into the new Scream film? What, did you have thoughts or concerns or, or excitement? What, what was your general feeling? You know, I, it was really excitement, if I'm honest. Like, I, I can get a little bit skeptical sometimes about rebooted IPs. Um, and so, for for example, like I was really not a fan of the 2018 Halloween uh, reboot. Okay. Um, and that i think it was that same year we had the predator reboot from shane black like shane black's a fantastic writer fantastic director but i did not connect with that film at Mm. all i was and so sometimes you you come back to like these beloved properties and you kind of feel like um a little bit of anxiety but i thought it it looked really interesting in terms of the 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 trailer seemed to be playing it quite straight uh so i came in i think you know with a level of like excitement and and optimism that perhaps this would this would uh live up to some of that hype i mean i think the scream films up until this one this one have been uneven i think one mm. and two are great i think three is not great i think four is somewhere in between um uh so yeah but coming into this one i was like yeah i i am i'm ready after 11 years since scream 4 i'm ready for another round of ghostface and so yeah i, I was pretty pretty excited i was there on opening night uh, so probably is it it's a more succinct way of opening uh, mm. of answering your question there yeah. pre-booked my tickets there on opening night as soon as i could be with my uh good friend uh john stewart who's my horror cinema going buddy uh, but yeah yeah no oh, great thank you okay so we'll talk a little bit about the plot to begin with and then we can get stuck into 
to maybe some of the ideas and, and, and things that, that that come out of it. So it, it starts with Tara Carpenter. We, we start with that stereotype, I guess, trope within the screen films of the, the, the cold open of, of, of someone being called and, and, and killed. So we start with that. She's attacked by, by Ghostface, but, but not killed, which I guess is one of the, the, mm. the first ways it, it diverges from, from the films that have come before it. So Tara survives, and, and this brings her sister, Sam, back to Woodsboro, who's, who's run away from there, and her boyfriend, Richie. Uh, Sam, we find out, is the, the daughter of Billy Loomis, one of the killers from the, the first one, which I mm-hmm. then didn't realise until the credits that that then makes her Sam Loomis, and, and I guess a little ah, nod to, to Halloween and stuff that I thought was yeah, it was quite fun. It wasn't something that, that triggered until the, yeah. the, the credits rolled on that. That's excellent observation. But a nice little geek out <laughs> kind of, yeah, yeah, kind of yeah. moment there. So they they left. So she ended up leaving town because she was worried that she might turn out like her dad in in, in some kind of way. So they come back to Woodsboro. The the murders continue, which then brings the the old cast and the new cast together. And and so Sydney, Dewey, and and Gail are all there. Mm-hmm. Sydney obviously comes back because Dewey is then. Uh, killed, mm-hmm. and and the murderers the, are killing people related to the original cast, so, so related to them in, in, in some kind of way. Yes. So after several of the murders, the finale takes place at Stu Macker's house, who was the other killer from the first film, and we learn that Richie, who is Sam's boyfriend, and Amber, who is Tara, one of Tara's best friends, are the killers. And we, we learn that they met on a th- Message, uh, fan message board where they fell in love over the hatred of Stab 8, which is the, the fictional horror films in mm. the Scream universe based on mm. the, the Woodsboro murders. They decide to make a, what they call a requel or a, a legacy sequel, ultimately the, the remake sequel. Yes. And they think by centering it on Sam and having Sam blamed for it, it will make for, for a good story that the daughter of the original killer comes back and goes on a killing spree, will we'll make a great movie and return Stab back to, to how it should be. Mm. That obviously doesn't happen. Uh, Sam and uh, Sam brutally kills Richie. That was so one brutal. of the terrific <laughs> scenes in, in, in the film, was just the, the stabbing again and again yeah. of, of Richie. Amber as well dies quite horrifically by getting burnt. Mm. shot and then shot again mm-hmm. in, in the head and we end pretty much a, I'm not sure if it's a, it's a direct shot for shot from mm. the original I didn't I haven't it's watched close, the original though. again to see but yeah that slow panning out of the house with the reporter the ambulances and and that's it the, the killers are are killed and and, we, and it leaves it open I, I guess for, for potential others so that's mm. a, that's a rough summation of the plot there's obviously other stuff going on in there but but in terms of trying to condense it down maybe for those that haven't seen it just to give them a, a little bit of an, an idea so i guess first of all tim what, what did you think of the new screen film so i liked it uh a lot um but maybe didn't love it um so yeah i mean as i kind of said i think my expectations i don't think they were too high um but 
you know, I was hopeful. And I think that hope was met up to a point. Like, I think there is a lot of stuff that's really, really works in this. And you've kind of touched on some of those points there in, in that. Like, also hats off to you for that synopsis. That was really like, oh yeah, like it really succinct and oh, brought me back, <laughs> it, back into the theatre. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like so, some of the stuff really worked for me. Like, I love that it's not an opening kill sequence; it's an opening mm. survival sequence. That it's about, you know, Tara surviving um, that attack, and actually intentionally so. We we learn that Ghostface let her live to to entice Sam back to Woodsboro. Mm. Um, I thought um, the brutality of some of the kills for me really worked. Like, I think the, and that's tied to like an emotional component um, in in the violence. Like, I think the first screen film. Uh, which of course was directed by Wes Craven and written by Kevin Williamson. Um, and, and Craven directed all four up until this point, because of course he sadly passed away mm. now. Um, and Williamson wrote one, two, and four. Um, but when those guys were together, you get like the the uh, really deft character work from Williamson, um, and then Craven really um, making you engage emotionally with the violence so when drew barrymore was killed at the beginning of the first one it really really hits like it's not just a a fun popcorn gore moment it's a mm. you feel the emotional resonance of of essentially watching like a, a child like she's a teenager in the film being killed and i think there are moments where you really feel the weight of that violence so that that opening attack on tara although she survives is really unpleasant and mm. it, it makes you kind of confront like that violence isn't isn't disposable and just silly fun like these are people that you're watching suffer and then like late later on for example tara when she's recovering from her injuries there's a sequence in the hospital where she's trying to get away mm. um but she was like her hand was impaled during her the opening attack but so she's trying to use her hand to scooch the uh scooch the wheels in her wheelchair mm. around and, and the wounds reopening and it's details like that i mean Yes, it's a little bit sadistic, and but it's also making you suffer as an audience member. And so mm. I, I like that stuff. I like I like it when violence is not made as disposable, and, and you're made to kind of engage with it. Um, I guess what worked for me a little bit less well is I felt um, there were a few moments which maybe suffered from being a little bit underwritten. Um, like Dewey's death, for example, has is very moving, and it's the the his actual death is done really well like he gets a call coming through from gail at that moment which is very emotional again but the reason he dies essentially is he fails to shoot ghost's face in the head mm. uh, leaves the the you know the killer on the floor gets everyone else out of the room and then goes back to him and of course he's killed because like I don't, stuff like that for me feels underwritten because like yeah. you should know by film number five you shoot the killer in the head immediately you know mm. so, so i mean some of that and like some of the the character work for the teens i think they weren't always i think they were a little bit uneven in how well they were drawn like i think uh uh sam who's uh uh played by uh melissa barrera she's great and jenna ortega is tara is great i'm a big fan in in general of uh, dylan manette who played Wes in it, and mm. I also thought um, Jasmine Savoy Brown as Mindy uh, is mm. really great. But I think some of those secondary characters again, they just kind of felt a little bit homogenous and a bit a bit interchangeable. Which again, like screen films traditionally have been a bit better at drawing out, particularly one and two, better at drawing mm. out defined teens. So yeah, like a mix. Some of it worked for me, and some of it a bit less well. I mean, mm. how about you, man? What did you think? Yeah, I guess similar. I enjoyed it, and I think had it not maybe had the expectation of a screen film, although, as you say, 
three and four, even two. Like I'm, I'm not a big fan of Scream Two. Mm-hmm. To be honest, I watched it again. Watched all three. I didn't watch Scream Three with with the build up because I really don't like Scream Three. Mm-hmm. But but Scream Two, I, I remember the first time I saw it, I felt it felt really long. And watching mm-hmm. it again, I, I still I think there's some great set pieces, but I, th- I still think it's it feels baggy yeah. and feels yeah. really long. But I did watch. Obviously, Scream again. I watched Scream Four again, which I enjoyed more mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. time. I still, I still don't enjoy the third act in the hospital, and and partly my my issue with that is similar to the issue that I have with the hospital scene, and and this one is where is everybody? Mm. Like where are yes. all where are all the, there's one security guard in, in the new Scream that's in that hospital that gets killed, yeah. but there's no there's no nurses, there's no doctors, there's nobody in that whole ward. It seems like and. I found that the same with Scream 4 when a huge fight is going on with things getting thrown all over the place, multiple people involved, and, and there's no nurses or doctors that seem to be about mm. at all. So, so I enjoyed Scream more the first uh, Scream 4, the, the first two thirds, a lot more than I did at the cinema because I, I, I felt it was too jokey at sure. the cinema, because I liked it more. So that's a long winded way of getting to. I did have high expectations, but I don't know why I did, based on mm. what has come before. I did enjoy it, but it, yeah, it, it, it was enjoyable and it was fun, and I went back to see it a second time just to see if it that changed at all. And I pretty much had the same view that I thought it's good, it, it's not great, it's not amazing. I think they did a, a good job of it and a, and a good call back to a to a lot of stuff, but but it still has some some big issues uh, for me. Like Dewey's death just didn't work for me okay. at all. And, and I think on that, because I was so annoyed that he came back from, yes. from the lift. And then also that when I was then, once you, you learn who who the killers are, that particular scene, I'm like, how how did they think that that, that scene in the hospital was going to play out? Because if, if Gail hadn't called, Dewey would have shot and killed her. Mm. Um, would have killed Amber, so I have a real issue with that. With within the mechanics of, of of what these two killers were planning to do, that just doesn't. What I would have liked is if it had been ja- uh, Richie that had mm. called or something, but I know it, it was to get the sentimental point across. That so so stuff like that just didn't work. I really liked the cast, and yeah. I think that's partly because I've seen a lot of them in. Disney stuff. I've I've got two kids myself, mm-hmm. and so we've watched a lot of Disney series, a lot of Disney movies, yeah. Um, and I've seen kind of Jenna Ortega, who plays Tara, kind of grow up through those. So, so seeing what happens yeah. to her was really brutal. And mm. I, I think Dylan, who plays Wes, I've seen him in loads of things, and uh, yeah, yeah, that series on Netflix, Thirteen Reasons Why, and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I think that helped. Obviously watched a few episodes of Yellow Jacket, so I'd saw mm-hmm. Jasmine Savoy Bright playing a similar mm-hmm. character again. And, and and so I think that worked for me because it was very shorthand, like, well, I know that these characters are playing who they are in Netflix yeah. and, and Disney stuff. So so that didn't bother me as much. Maybe be, they were underwritten, but because I'd seen them in so many other things. Yeah, so I did. I, I did enjoy it, but I think similar to you, it, I think it could have been a lot better. And I think we obviously had spoke on Twitter that 
for me, Halloween Kills is as derided as it seems to be. Yeah. I, I think was in, in terms of old properties coming back, like Halloween Kills for me is probably the top of that in terms of what they, they do with it. And I know 100%. we're probably a, mi- probably a minority on that. But... <laughs> yeah, I think we need to start a support group or something because, um, <laughs> like, yeah, you're 100%. I think Halloween Kills was fairly brutally derided last year when it came out. But mm. I think that film is great. Like, it's it's just come out on Blu-ray, and so I'm going to... I uh, can't wait to watch it again. Um, but yeah, I mean, maybe for me anyway, like I said, I didn't like the 2018 Halloween. So I went into Halloween Kills with fairly lukewarm expectations mm. and it just blew me away last year. I thought it was so interesting in terms of as a satire on kind of Trumpian mob mentality. Mm. Um, and like, like David Gordon Green would have known that we had the Capitol riots on uh, January 6th last year. But see, because like obviously Halloween Kills was postponed with COVID, it should have come mm. out before that happened. Um, but seeing it after uh, January sixth, I was like, this is like some kind of prophetic social commentary on the insanity of right wing hysteria. Mm. Um, and yeah, I, I do love that film. I think it's I think it was absolutely cracking. Um, and I'd agree with you. I would put Scream twenty twenty two below it. Um, mm. Where would where would this Scream fit for you though in in the in the franchise? Ooh, that's that's tough. So definitely the, the the first ones with Scream would would definitely be at the top. I would say this this would probably be in joint second place with Scream Four. Mm-hmm. I feel that they they are both pretty much even with yeah, yeah. I think good bits and bad bits. Then it would be Scream Two, and then mm-hmm. it would be Scream Three at the bottom. That's, yeah. What would yours be? Yeah, yeah, similar. I'm probably more forgiving to two. Um, mm. I agree with you. I think it is baggy and it's a bit overlong. Um, but because I saw it, I guess at quite an influential time, I've got the nostalgia factor, which goes a long way for me. So I'm going to probably go one, two, five, four, three. Um, but I think, yeah, I, I think we could probably both agree that one at the top, three at the bottom is probably mm. uh, not, not, that's not too controversial, I guess. It's just no. where you put the other three in the middle. Yeah. Okay, good. So let's get into talking about some of the themes, because although I thought the film was okay, I think there's there's a lot of stuff that is, is worth talking about for a film that kind of self-referentially says that it's oh, it's not about anything, it's just a slasher film. There's actually, mm. a, there is a lot uh, going on. And, and I think, I guess an important point to start with is the cultural moment that we seem to be in with movies and this idea of a legacy sequel or what Scream calls a, a requel, that remakes and sequels that look back and, and retread beats mm-hmm. of the original bring back older cast members to, to then mix with with a, with a new cast. And in actual fact, Scream 4 probably w- was doing that before legacy sequels were even a thing. Mm. Scream 4 mm. definitely seemed to, it, and what seems to happen with all the Scream films, they seem to be ahead of time in terms of the the trends within Hollywood and stuff and I think Scream 4 is a legacy sequel even before kind of people really talked about that yeah but I think we're in a time obviously we had the new Candyman film which again was just called Candyman mm-hmm. we had the new Halloween movie which was just called Halloween mm-hmm. we have got a new Texas Chainsaw Massacre which is called yep. the Texas Chainsaw Massacre out next month in February Ghostbusters, although it had obviously had Afterlife after it, was was a legacy sequel. The, the Matrix mm-hmm. Resurrections 
even going probably as far back to, to Terminator Dark Fate. Yeah, yeah. Was that, and, and even Star Wars, The Force Awakens was, was blamed for being too much of that, yes. of, of covering uh, all the beats. And I'd kind of looked up, I know in, in Scream, they, they, they give a part definition of what a, a, a requel or a, a legacy sequel is, but I looked up the, the IGN definition. And, and they've got a few points, and maybe mm-hmm. we could talk a little bit about these. But yeah, sure. So, so it has to have a narrative and thematic preoccupation with the concept of legacy. Yeah. Which which it does. A focus on delivering nostalgic moments and fan service for the audience, often built around familiar franchise iconography, callbacks, and references. Mm-hmm. Recycling plot beats and narrative structure from a previous film while maintaining continuity with at least the first instalment. Yep. Bringing back beloved older characters and actors from the original films to interact with the newer, younger cast. Being a revival of a film franchise that has existed long enough to be multi-generational, at least mm-hmm. 15 to 20 years. And being positioned in marketing or discussed by fandom as a course correction from previous uh, perceived mistakes made by previous instalments. That's probably the only thing that I don't think Scream, the new Scream fits into. I don't think anybody was looking to course correct Scream 4. But I think it, it, it pretty much fits into the rest. Kind of what, what do you think of that? Yeah, I think that I think that's fair. Um I mean I on the course correction front, I there's uh, a bit of dialogue um at the end where Richie I think it's Richie in particular, but Richie and Amber are kind of explaining their rationale for, as you said, kind of framing Sam. Um, as, as the killer and for them it's about course correction of stab as a franchise because they hate where stab eight has gone and mm. they're trying to like course correct the in-world franchise um so you could kind of take a step back and be like it's not so much scream course correcting itself but scream commenting on true yeah. that 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 trend and also the i mean you've kind of touched on already the the discourse around so-called elevated horror using heavy uh, quotes to say elevated um where there's this kind of generation of uh like prestige horror films like things like it follows and the witch um and the babadook and and like those kind of i mean those films were all referenced explicitly in in Mm. the opening scene um and like i love all those films i think they're all masterpieces um but there there is in some particularly in critical circles or or in the mainstream imagination those films are held up as being somehow uh well as the name elevated horror suggests like better than scuzzy trashy horror and so you could see scream five as kind of a a course correction of that mindset because because i think actually uh, as you said a moment ago like scream five for a film which says hey we're just a trash uh, a trashy slasher film i think it's more about like dissolving the line between trash and art and kind Mm. of Saying that actually there there doesn't have to be, and actually I would say there isn't a distinction between those films. Like you've got films which are more thematically explicit and complex, but you you can take the supposedly trashy, grindy, simplistic films of of previous years, and you can find such richness and texture mm. in them. Like the, the the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a simple film of uh, late teens, early twenties getting. Yeah, cut up by a cannibal family in in 
they're backwards but that is a socially and politically rich film you know mm. like your wes craven's films like uh the hills have eyes you know or the people under the stairs those are politically rich films and mm. so um arguably the course correction thing you could take as being screen five almost calling out the kind of slightly erroneous argument that horror like that horror is anything other than ideologically complex because I, I think it always is mm. more or less yeah and, and i think it goes we've had those discussions i guess before within the horror community when i guess it was the, the term thriller was used before went out into elevated horror but when you think of silence of the lambs and yes that is an out and out horror film but it was marketed as a thriller because somehow that that will bring in more. And I guess there's probably similar discussions around elevated horror that it's somehow rising above. It's more awards worthy, or it's it's more acceptable, or mm. for for mainstream than the, the the scuzzy, trashy stuff, as you say. Yeah, I mean, I think it's got something to do with the the way that horror is conceptualized by mainstream audiences or mainstream society as being somehow morally deviant, somehow mm. low or base. Um, uh, and actually, like, I'm not, I'm not saying that horror is never scuzzy and never problematic. Mm. Like, like any genre um, has like elements which you know deserve to be critically reflected upon. Um, but people don't say that. Like, for example, like somehow that like, comedy is a low genre just because you've got problematic comedians. You know, mm. it's, um, I think horror is incredibly rich, and and actually, um, I think that for me that's kind of part of what I kind of is picking up in screen five is that kind of reconceptualizing reconceptualizing kind of owning it's a horror a horror label like we don't need to say it's a thriller we don't need to say it's elevated but i want you to engage meaningfully in these kind of weighty thematic ideas um mm. and, and kind of laying that out on the table great so so what what do you think of this trend at the moment of legacy sequels recalls kind of why why do you feel we're here and in, yeah. in this in the last decade really we've we've been coming into that and, and right now we there seems to be just a glut of of these types of films what what are your feelings about that and maybe the reasons behind it yeah i mean i think my feelings are mixed um i think if we look over that list of uh films that you read out um there's there is a, a spread um between films that are perhaps more or less successful like i think the Candyman uh requel was excellent uh neo Costa's movie um, I wasn't a fan, as I said, of the of the I say original the 2018 David Gordon Green Halloween. Mm. Uh, for me, that didn't work so well. I think like The Force Awakens is technically good, but on rewatches, it's difficult to get over the fact it is basically a retread of A New Hope. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think so. I would say never say never. Like there's always a chance to go back to an established IP and reimagine it. Um, yep. and to, to find new wrinkles in it and to say something interesting like I mean Terminator Dark Fate for example for me I was a big fan of that film um, because Terminator 1 and 2 means so much to me and I was like deeply this is going to sound really hyperbolic and like I've got my priorities out of whack but I was so kind of grieved in a way by the way that the Terminator franchise had gone to the point that I saw mm. Terminator Genesis and I was just like just really angry that they'd taken something <laughs> that was so beautiful and made something which is so disposable and so terminate dark fate you know it's not on a par with one and two but it was it was that course correction it was kind of okay we're, we're going to ignore three four five we're going to go back to t2 and do a direct sequel of t2 and i'm i'm kind of for that i mean the probably the slightly skeptical part of me is it, it's a 
it's a cash generating exercise where mm. studios will have established ips on their books um and through unsuccessful sequels some of them have been a bit tarnished um like we know particularly in horror um and in the 80s sequels were the rage for those big ips so you have i think uh, friday the 13th there are 12 of those films um i think for nightmare on elm street there's seven halloween i don't know now i've kind of lost count but mm. you know uh, like a, a requel is a way of rehabilitating an ip which has got a little bit tarnished by some unsuccessful, unsuccessful installments and you can then effectively write out like so halloween which is probably in a way the most confusing one you need almost a decision tree to get through which mm. which you know which route you want to take through on that narrative but you can go okay well look h2o comes in and it more or less ignores four five six and you get h2o and, and then you get um resurrection and then we get rob zombies movies which they just ignore everything we're doing it again and then you go to david gordon green's movies and you say no no okay we're gonna um ignore everything after one and so and two through to zombies movies go out it's you know um and as we've already said i think halloween kills does kind of work um for me anyway and for you so yeah so sorry that's a very long way around <laughs> of saying I, I think it can work and I'm, I'm okay with it um but i would say generally i'm, I'm more here for original content like mm. uh, particularly in horror there's such a vibrant indie horror community like some of the best films that are being made in horror are not the, the big tent poles they are the mm. smaller films on the festival circuit and you know labels like arrow putting them out like uh services like shudder putting them out mm. uh like second sight 88 101 these are these are you know uh, involved labels involved in the mechanisms of distribution and i think it's uh i think there's a lot of great stuff out there so mm. yeah great yeah because similar I, I wouldn't want to just tar every legacy sequel or recall with, with it with the same brush on that i think thinking of scream when i was watching it i was like i could actually have done without the old cast mm. like in mm -hmm. honesty with, with what with what those the the characters actually brought to it i was like we could have just done without them but i guess that's the point of the legacy sequels that and and whether they do a scream six my mm -hmm. assumption would be then that you focus just on the survivors of of the new scream film and it, and it was similar with ghostbusters like i, I enjoyed ghostbusters afterlife up till and, and i'm going to spoil a little bit here for anyone that's not seen Ghostbusters Afterlife, when they bring back the old cast at the end. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, actually, you didn't need them. Like, you were telling a perfectly good Ghostbusters story here. I liked the new cast. I liked what you were doing. And I just felt a little bit sad when, just because they all looked so old, that was the thing that really upset me about it. I thought, oh, my goodness. Like, Bill Murray, generally in Wes Anderson films, looks yeah. great. Yeah. But in, in Ghostbusters Afterlife, he looks like a few steps away from the grave. And and, and I guess that just upset me to, to see him like that. Because, well, you're not Peter Venkman anymore. Mm. You're, you're, a, you're a shell of that. And, okay. and, 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 I, and I guess for me, and when I thought about it, I was like, is it a legacy sequel or is it not? Because it doesn't fit w with a lot of the stuff in there. But, but Spider-Man No Way Home. Yeah, yeah it's a I think could, could be considered a legacy sequel because it's the film wouldn't work without what has come before and specifically the Sam Raimi ones and the, the Andrew Garfield 
uh, ones as well, and, yes. and covers a lot of those some of those same beats. But I think is a is a excellent example of a film that takes the past and and makes something really new and makes the cast integral to it. Because I think in in Scream, like Sydney says, this isn't my story. Yes, and it's like yeah, it's it's not this. And you don't really need to be. I know there's that there's nostalgia and everything with it, and diehard Scream fans would, would probably go crazy for me to say, "Oh, you don't need that cast." But but I, my my hope is if they go forward with it, and I think with the amount of money that that Scream has made, it, just mm-hmm. in, in the the week or so that it's been out, I think we can expect another. And my hope my hope yes. is that we move away from from the the two remaining members of the original cast now and, and focus on the new ones. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because part of me was wondering if they were going to kill all three of those original legacy uh, cast members as a complete cleaning house and setting up mm. um, a new era for Scream. So uh, I guess I, I wouldn't want... I mean, like Sydney in particular is a character I've got a lot of affection for. Like As a final girl, Like I love the way she's evolved um, mm. into a true survivor like this film. We see her as somebody who has um, managed to successfully integrate the trauma she's experienced into her life and is now still living a healthy, successful life. Like she's, mm. uh, We meet her when she's out jogging, pushing a pram with presumably one of her children in, and she talks about having a stable partner. And, you know, uh, it, it's a credit to Nev Campbell that, like, the reaction of... I had anyway. I'm sure like many other people did as well. Was just one of like real gladness for Sydney. Like, mm. oh thank goodness you you've actually you've gone on to be happy after everything that's happened. Um, you know, but that's it. I didn't want to dramatically would it make more sense that Sydney and, and Gail get it at the end because then we're like okay, completely like blank slate for for going forward. So I think that there's I think there's uh, arguments either way. Um, but I mean, the fact that Gail and Sydney are left on the table at the end, I do think there's going to be a pressure to for them to at least cameo back in mm. if there are future screen movies. Yeah, and again, Gail got got shot, and uh, certainly on on second watch, sitting in, and she's sitting in, in the ambulance at the end just with a rug on. <laughs> yeah, I'm all right. And it's like you were shot in the side. Like, yeah, it might have not been a, an organ you hit, but that was you. You should you should be off to a hospital. Not, yeah. not sitting there saying you're all right. I know. Um, I was like, yeah, gosh, where's the morphine, the, the ventilator, <laughs> yeah. all that stuff? She's just there like, I'm going to write a book. Uh, which, again, it's, it's a nice moment, but it does kind of maybe cheapen some of the injuries that they mm. suffered. Because, I mean, they were both, like, shot, stabbed. They were... It was pretty nasty, that last act. Yeah. And, um, yeah, anyway. No, it was. But, no, I, I agree with you on the... I really like the, the fact that she's taken that trauma and been able to... To move on is stronger for it. It's yeah, clearly with somebody now who has kids, and and I think that goes to the really the final line that she has with, with Sam, where Sam mm. says to her, "Will I be okay?" and and Sydney goes eventually, and yes. and I think yes. I think it is a really nice wrap up story for Sydney to show that yeah, she's not the shell that she she was in Scream Three, Scream Four, mm-hmm. that isolation. She she's happy. She's out of the limelight. And, mm-hmm. and and she's living well as a yes. as a final girl, and so I think from that and for the film speaking then to trauma and that you can overcome that and you can make peace 
yeah with that and move on and, and, and do, so yeah I agree with this a, a really necessary necessary point to add into that film to show yes she's okay I think I think it's really beautiful and um yeah I'm going to put my uh, social work lecture hat on for a mm, second and um uh, so one of the theories which um I'm, I really love and that I kind of bring in in my teaching whenever I get the chance is uh, Kubler-Ross is a cycle of change or, or change curve and sometimes called like the seven stages of grief um and what Kubler-Ross does is kind of chart out like what a healthy emotional response or an under, a normal should we say a natural emotional response is to change and typically uh bereavement um and so it's things like the shock of when you first experience it um denial or disbelief going into frustration and anger and then depression and then eventually coming to a point of experimentation to try new things and the, the last stage at the very end is integration where we then have been able to process the the bereavement or loss or trauma um and we're not the same person anymore so we ha you know it kind of dispels the, mytho the mythology of bouncing back or mm. getting over anything you know you don't get over anything you don't bounce back but what you do is you integrate that into your reality and you become a renewed individual uh, moving on and i love kubler ross uh kubler ross's theory i think it's so useful for meaningfully talking about trauma in real life and and you know, because I think like mainstream culture and, and people, we're just uncomfortable in the UK at least in talking about pain, and talking about mm. loss and grief and death, and uh, and like we want people to bounce back because we feel uncomfortable with people being depressed or angry, you know, under those earlier Cooper Ross stages. Um, but yeah, I mean, what I loved about Sydney's portrayal here was we don't often get to see a final girl make it to that integrated stage. Like we can, mm. like uh, I was chatting with uh, uh, my friend, Rebecca McCallum recently, who's um, uh, assistant editor at Ghouls magazine. She made this excellent uh, comparison point uh, between Sydney and then Laurie Strode in the new Halloween movies. Now Laurie isn't somebody who's integrated the trauma of Michael mm. Myers into her life. She's full on Sarah Connor herself up. She's a survival, she's survivalist in the woods. You know, her relationships are a bit of a mess because like with no judgment but she's not been able to move on from that trauma so she's still somewhere earlier perhaps in like maybe the depression or the anger stage or an experimentation stage but she's not she's kind of got like a maladaptive response to what's happened to her she's not able mm. to fully survive it to a point of integration so it's it's really beautiful um to have Sydney there as a role model of saying you know what you in life you can go through horrendous trauma but that is not the end of your story um there is it might be years down the line like this is 25 years after sydney first encounters the events of scream one but she's now in a place of rest and peace and wellness and actually if if you uh audience member sitting there are in the dark days somewhere before that point you can have hope mm. and know that there there is um there is another side of the story um which may be uh, years away still but like it, it is available in your future and so i find that actually really really beautiful really inspiring so a huge thanks again to tim coleman for for coming on to the podcast to to chat about it so i hope you've enjoyed part one of our discussion about the new scream film what did you think of the episode what are your thoughts about scream Feel free to let us know by following us on Twitter at RealFaithPod or like our Facebook group, Real Faith. Also, if you have enjoyed this episode, please consider rating the podcast on Apple Podcasts. 
that really helps other people see it. And, and please do subscribe as well to be notified of when the next episode is out. But as always, thank you very much for listening and look out for our next episode coming soon.